entrepreneurship and failure, they are two sides of the same coin. As Samuel Beckett wrote in Westward Ho, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, even better. Uh, Currently, around 60% of new businesses fail within their first few years and the impact of the pandemic is likely to send that failure rate skyrocketing. My guest today, Jan Cavell, is a successful entrepreneur with 40 years experience in founding and running SME businesses. She built a multi-million pound business from absolutely nothing and then she lost it all. Her furniture business went into administration in 2017 after 20 years of trading. But she has rebuilt her portfolio and is now well on the road back to success. Jan joins me today to share her journey, the advice that she now shares with fellow entrepreneurs and why we must all stop viewing failure as problems. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you very much. I'm fascinated to hear your um, story as it really captured me whenever I was reading about you. Um, And I want to really learn about you at a very early age because I think you discovered pretty early that you were not going to be suited to a life working for others. I think that's probably true. And and that sort of even slightly accounts for the 40 years in entrepreneurship (laughs) that made me wince at the start. But I did, did, you're quite right. I mean, from the start, it was disaster, me working for other people. It really was. Um, I took a a speed writing and typing course because I thought it would keep me in pennies. And of course, then applied for secretarial positions and which existed in those days. And I was a disastrous secretary I promptly got sacked continually um, what kind of things I, were you doing <laughs> oh I mean well hey, my typing and speed writing was pretty disastrous I remember my very first job um, was for a very grand um, PR and advertising company around the back of Paddington station somewhere and I um, put the um, we, had, we had a sort of internal report and a client's report and I put the two in a raw envelopes and, and proceeded to mail the client exactly what we all thought of him, which was not, not popular. Oh, dear. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And then my spelling was atrocious in those days, too. So, I mean, you know, again, that was something that people weren't too happy with when their letters went out. Yeah. Until eventually somebody took me aside and said, you know, this is a dictionary, meet dictionary. Oh, dear. Um, so uh, your short, uh, your short-lived secretarial uh, career. Um, <laughs> how did you decide to knock that on the head, and what then put you into looking at business and and indeed furniture design? Well, that yeah, that's a, that's a, sort of came quite a bit later. I mean, I decided that secretarial wasn't for me, and I decided that it was just a question of um, you know earning money. So I didn't really care what I did. So I did all sorts of things for lots of sales mm-hmm. jobs um, and um, some sort of catering jobs and. Started off. I, mean, I got a job briefly, a, a temp job for a um, book illustrator, or uh, she researched book illustrations to be more exact. And she was working from home, and I thought this is a wonderful way. So I used to sort of arrive in the mornings, and mm-hmm. you know, there was the sort of debris from the night before still on the table last week, last night Chinese, and she yeah. wasn't really bothering to get dressed much. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this sounds good. You know, I didn't mind the hard work. Yeah. It was just the whole lifestyle of, of going yeah. to the office and pretending to buy and scrape to people that I had a problem with. 
Um, you know, so I thought, you know, this is the answer. I've got to, got to start working for myself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I started getting these jobs selling things. I sold wine, I remember, and, and various other bits and pieces. And I started a cooking business with moderately little experience. Um, initially from somebody I met in the pub who promised me they were a trained chef, which was a complete lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so lots of exciting stories there. Um, yeah. but, I, can, uh, I can imagine, like I'm saying, <laughs> the way you're describing this, I'm like, I feel like this is a Netflix movie. <laughs> it, it was a little bit like that. I tell you, what, for, for lobsters, for the first dinner we did, would have made a, a Netflix dinner as we both did and had no clue what to do with them. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was all a bit crazy, but it was fun, you know, and that was what I, I was looking for, you know. Like I said, I didn't mind the least working hard, but I did object to having absolutely no fun. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you know, I got married, and things became a bit well, slightly more serious because we started to have children. Yes. Um, and um, so, in turn, um, for a variety of reasons, we we both tried to have serious careers at first and then um we had a personal bereavement which is it's nothing to do with this but um we decided that we wanted to work go back to working for ourselves and we started um a, a business painting bits and pieces my ex was quite arty um, mm-hmm. and of course I'd done selling so we thought you know, yes yeah. a good thing to do which is a um, key skill to have when you run your own business it is oh yeah you know there's a lot about sales now that um you know people are very anti-sales mm. um nowadays and say you know you just need marketing and I, I really disagree with that because I think you know actually being able to relate to people is pretty key in business I mean certainly mm-hmm. if you're in a b2b business it's still absolutely essential yeah you know it's a, there's a vast yeah. difference between the horrendous sort of con artist sales that used to exist but and actually understanding how to relate to people uh, oh yes very much and I think you're absolutely right and digital marketing is absolutely key to bring you know feed the funnel but particularly for B2B and for any kind of high value product, there's always a human interaction at the end. So you do need to be able to, as you say, relate to people. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I was very lucky that my uh, failure at secretarial had given me that experience. <laughs> <laughs> so that was useful. Um, yeah. Uh, but he, he was always the arty one. And as you say, you know, um, where on earth did I come across furniture design? Um, you know, when we split up, um, you know, I was on my own. My children were very small. They were sort of, uh, what age were they? They were about four and seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to do something um, that I could look after them at home. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought, you know, I've, I want to continue this idea of, of buying in bits and pieces and selling it because mm-hmm. I can still sell and I can sell while literally I look after them. I, I made myself a little office yeah. on a shelf yeah. under the stairs. Um, got myself a fax phone and thought, this is a doddle. Got myself a um, really tatty leaflet with the last credit I had on my old credit card um, and decided to do that. Um, but of course, I knew nothing. I mean, I wasn't artistic like he was. I didn't know about furniture design. Um, and all of a sudden, people were saying, well, you know, <laughs> what, what do you sell? Um yeah. And I thought, and again, this comes back to me championing sales, actually, because uh, I, not knowing anything, I thought, 
look what people are buying. Look what sells. Yeah. And so that's literally what I did. I studied the market um, and I luckily had no ego at all because I knew I knew nothing um, on furniture design. So, um, you know, in, in many ways, it was very much easier for me to go about furniture design than somebody who'd studied for years and put their whole heart and soul into their designs because I never came at it from that angle. I purely came at it from what sold, which yep. is a whole different thing. Yes. <laughs> so I cheat it. Yeah, no, but it's that open-mindedness, isn't it? So, you know, with being very... Uh, you know, honest with yourself and that I'm going to just watch what other people are doing. Whereas, you know, if you'd invested, you know, four years in furniture design at university and you might have had a, you know, a preference or, you know, a desire to maybe design in a particular genre, um, you didn't have that. So you were just being really open minded to see what different approaches people took. And what did you learn? Um, I, I mean, I've literally followed the styles, you know, and so I would say to the guys who, who made furniture for me, you know, can we have a leg like this and a top mm-hmm. like this? You know? <laughs> Gradually, yeah. I, knew, I began to know what things were called. I mean, it was a nightmare <laughs> selling in the first place. I remember going to a, a very large company, uh, but they were sort of fairly young then, but they were very classically trained. And, yes. Um, you know, they were talking the language and I was sitting there trying to take notes. And they were, you know, they were calling all the furniture sort of the official French words for it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of talking Louis Quinze and um, Etagères and things. I hadn't heard a word of it, you know. Yeah. I hadn't a clue what they were on about. And so I had to sort of vaguely remember these words and scribble them down as soon as I got out. And then, you know, leap on a French dictionary and try and work out what on earth they were talking about. <laughs> You know, it's just and how did they react to your approach to design? Very well. I mean, you know, we had lots of strengths and faults as a company, but the sales and the design side stayed with us right the way through. I mean, phones phones were still ringing for our designs right up mm-hmm. till till and past the end. Yeah. So you know, it was it was oddly a, a back to front but incredibly successful way of going about it. Yeah, well, there's no right way or wrong way in business. There's just That's for sure. you know, <laughs> your way. Um, and the children, um, obviously, as a single mum uh, back in those days, obviously not a very common um, experience. It must have been hugely challenging. I mean, you mentioned there at the start of the podcast about, you know, it was about working hard and making money, but having fun. And, you know, that having the children and the responsibility of that must have had been a huge weight for you as well, is making to make sure this company was a success. Did it change how you approached the business, or you know, did it change your mindset in any way at that time? Yeah, I mean, it was huge having messed around all you know, sort of my pre-marriage days. You know, all of a sudden there was there was it was me and them, um, mm-hmm. and the, you know, it just gives you a blind she-wolf defending our cubs. You know, you've got to do it. Determination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing was going to make me fail, and yeah. I think actually, if you're that much for a, a, got your back up against the wall, it does give you a, um, a focus that probably you wouldn't have in other circumstances. Yeah, and um, particularly in your, you know, if you think about that pre-marriage period where you would ha- you would have had to go at something, but then you probably would have moved on and tried something else. Exactly, didn't have yeah. that. 
Um, you know, Back to the lobsters or something. Yeah, yeah goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Maybe not the lobsters. <laughs> so talk to us about that, you know, because then it launched, obviously, then into a 20 year period of, of, of incredible success for you. Um, tell us about some of the highs and lows. Um, you know, what were some of the moments where you were like, oh, my goodness, um, you know, in that period? And then what were some of the main, you know, successes that you look back on with sort of like that kind of sense of pride? I think, I mean, the first 10 years were really crazy. Um, you know, we went at such a pace and, it, you know, it seemed extraordinary to to have success. I mean, I was extremely puzzled because I knew damn well I hadn't got the experience or the right or what well, I felt I didn't have the right classic imposter syndrome, oh, um, yes. <laughs> you know, and uh, so so it was it was something absolutely mental we started to win awards which um actually i quickly learned i mean awards awards are just um they're nice but but not to be taken too seriously because mm-hmm. if you're quite insecure you can start um getting paranoid about them when you don't, you don't win them win, it <laughs> works the other way. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um but you know yeah i got incredible experiences you know i was picked as um one of the first 50 women to represent the uk in on a sort of european promote enterprise scheme um i think for me i mean it was only a, a personal thing but i'd love debating at school and i was invited to debate at cambridge union and that was that was a real personal highlight experience wow. for me yeah um, you know, and strange things like that. Um, you know, I was on Newsnight, so I got met uh, <coughs> Jeremy Paxman, um, which albeit a lot of people have since, but uh, in those days, not so many, um, who mm-hmm. I have to say is really nice, um, much maligned. This gruff image, he's a sweetie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, sort of all sorts of weird and, and wonderful things, which from my background, you would have never thought in a million years I've yeah. ever been doing. Yeah, your it's children must have been like, what's mum what's doing now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know. I know. But, but know. brilliant role model, incredible role model. Uh. Um, but, you know, obviously the... Um, you know, the, the, the show had to come to an end and it did in 2017 um, and because after 20 years of trading, the business did go into administration. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about that and what impact that had on you both personally sure. and professionally? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's sort of 2017, it, it actually, we knew it was going to happen in 2016, but um, the administrators um, and I agreed because <laughs> we'd sort of struck a, a deal of what was going to happen and one thing and another. We would let the staff remain in ignorance over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so they also got paid, which seemed a nicer thing to do. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, but um, it's it's difficult to describe, I think, um, to somebody who hasn't been through it, but it's it's not an instant thing, the end of a business. I mean, for me, I would say, you know, looking back, you could see the signs probably nine or ten years earlier, um, and they simply mounted. And the last few years were actually a living hell. They really were undescribably miserable. Um, you know, I, I've the worst period of my life without a shadow of a doubt. Um, you know, so... Um, when I finally, you know, I, and I'd worked with the administrators for the sort of last three years, checking mm-hmm. that I was legally okay, 
Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, I mean, there was still the option to keep going. They were saying, do you want to? Because um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex legal minefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I was shot. I just could not do it one more day. Um, what was it that was really, going? I think, what it came was down it to. sales that were going wrong? The design? No, the, not the sales at all. The business? Not sales, not designs. Yeah. There you... were so many things. I mean, um, we grew, um, you know, as mentioned, very rapidly. And I, I think mm-hmm. um, many people fall into this trap that you think it's going to be similar to run a business at a bigger size than it is to a smaller one because that seems logical you know if you mm-hmm. have a hundred thousand pounds worth of sales it's going to be the same as a, size, a, a, a million and yeah. one million is going to be the same as two million but it isn't it's very very different and one of the great things that, or major things should i say is that you need a really good team around you and a really good management team um and i didn't have one and and that's my fault for making mm-hmm. that choice. Um, but I kept on thinking that people in the business um, would be the right people to to be the management team, which isn't always the case because it isn't mm-hmm. always what people want to do. Um, yeah. You know, so um, so there was that. There were all sorts of production problems. The actual. Um, world of furniture manufacturing changed massively in that time yeah. um but i think most of all we we pivoted markets um you know because when the, the first re, re, the recession hit in whenever it did um yeah in the, 2008 the, that, yeah exactly um yeah mental blank there um <laughs> you know the, we we our main market was built to show homes yeah um which we did extensively and that market dropped from being, I think it was sort of 90% of our business to about 30% in under six months. Yeah. So, I mean, that Which makes total us. sense. Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, exactly. You know, exactly. Every, the world stopped spinning in 2008. The money exactly. stopped spinning, yeah. Um, you know, now I decided what I probably should have... <laughs> I don't know what I should have done, but, I, you know, it seemed obvious to try and keep going and to pivot which, of course, you know, is what people do. So yeah. I changed us to interior designers who supplied the private market. And that was a very, very different market. It was very much more um, demanding in quality, which is mm-hmm. fair enough. Um, but um, we really didn't have the skills to deliver on that quality, I don't think. Yeah. Um, or the inclination. Um, you know, I wanted to do it, but... You know, it's it's hard to get um, get the right skill set. Manufacturing, uh, furniture yeah. manufacturing is a dying trade. Yeah. Um, tragically, it got yeah. killed off in in the East End where it originated, um, and so all the skilled labour just uh, just disappeared. Yeah. Um, anybody <laughs> who was young enough retrained, and all the other people. Um, you know, took early retirement, so you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't get the you couldn't, couldn't get the people. If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward. So the you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't a band aid moment. It was something that no, was kind of coming no. up um, over time. So was it? I guess like a 
was it relief when it happened or was it more profound than that? You know, I can imagine it's almost like it's your other baby, you know, you've had it for 20 yeah. years. And although the, like the pain it's caused you for the last few years, it must still be very sad to draw that to a close. It wasn't by that time. Um, no. If I'm going to be dead honest, um, you know, I had arranged for the key members of staff to have jobs. So that wasn't mm-hmm. weighing on me. Um, and it had been so miserable for so long. Yeah. What it, it was, as you rightly say, it was it was relief, shock, horror, fear, all those things, but relief. Yeah. And it goes back to your ultimate, you know, your your how you lived your life, your mantra, you know, your life, your <laughs> life mantra, which is, you know, you've got to you work hard, but have fun. And it doesn't sound like there was any fun being yeah. had in that period. There was no news night. There was no debates. Uh, no, but there was actually no fun in the factory yeah. either. You know, yeah. we had such fun in the early days. You know, yeah. every day was was you just couldn't have wanted Exciting. more. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a laugh to be had in the, <laughs> in the yeah. last few years. But it did teach you a lot. It taught you a lot about um, failure. Um, what did you take away from that entire experience? Gosh, um, well, I took away, um, that's a, a good question. Um, I mean, I took away how to manage it because I think um, I had to look long and hard. I had these sort of, one of the worst periods was was for that Christmas because knowing that it was all a done deed with the administrators and all mm-hmm. I had to go in was on the first day back was tell everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, a real sort of hung moment and you had time to sit back and assess and think, how on earth am I going to cope with this? What's this all about? Does this mm-hmm. make me the most horrendous person that's ever been born? And all the sort of questions that do fly through your mind. Yeah. Um because you're yeah. human. <laughs> Do you know well, yeah. You're human yeah. and you have relations. These are people that have probably been in your life for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and as you say, it was it was my baby and you know, and I don't you know, anything you've done for twenty odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um it, it's it's going to be a hell of a shock as to to, to what on earth you do now. Yeah. Um, and, and how vicious it's going to be too because I didn't know how much backlash there was going to be. I was very scared the first few days. I mean, I drew the curtains, locked the doors and hid. There wasn't any, I must say. But, uh, oh, so it was just the anticipation of backlash? Yeah. yeah just the absolutely. fear of it and how people would react to you? Mm, very much so. Yeah. So so you were able to go in and communicate to the team and then finally wrap up the business and then take some time to reflect um, on that journey um so what did you take away about sort of the aspect of of failure then so you talked about there about how to manage it um and there's obviously they're keeping a hold of your chimp you know the person in your that little chimp on your shoulder that's going to sort of send your brain into overdrive about you know are you going to be the worst person you know is there going to be a backlash none of those things actually failed to materialise because you'd approached it in the right way. So is that is that part of the learning from failure? Is it about approaching it in the right way? Definitely. Absolutely, definitely. Um, you know, I think you have to get it very clear in your head what failure is, you know, because it's actually just an imaginary construct. Um, and it comes up in, in two ways. It comes up in your own mind and in other people's mind, or you think it does. Um, and firstly, when I looked at it, I thought, actually, there are a small handful of people that really matter to me. 
And they are far more concerned about me. They're not passing any judgments on Mm -hmm. what's happened. Um, You know, and whatever other people are thinking and saying, most of them probably don't know me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like a marriage. They weren't there. They weren't in it. Yeah. Um, You know, so it's really... You, you have to go back to that old adage, it's their stuff, not your stuff. Um, yeah. And ignore what people might think or say because the important ones won't. So that's that's the other people. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's how to manage yourself. Um, and I think it's, it's a mix. You want to be brutally honest with yourself and recognise exactly all the idiot things you did, um, <laughs> which, of course, yeah. you do. Um, and at the same time, recognise the things that weren't your fault. Um, you know, it's it's become a bit of a thing with me. I'm, you know, because I wrote a lot about it, which was, in fact, one of the things that happened afterwards was the editor. I was writing um, business um, pieces for a digital publication. Came to me and said, "Would you write about it?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote a series about things I messed up. Um, and and that had gone wrong, and I still get. I, I seem to be sort of a bit known as as the failure girl, which I'm not sure <laughs> really how I wanted to end up. But if it's if it helps people, then fantastic. And because I still get people from a, abroad as well as in England mm-hmm. getting in touch with me and saying nobody else talks about this stuff, um, you know. And for a starter, I mean, I was talking to somebody from, from abroad the other day, and he said, you know. I'm, uh, the thing that frustrates me is it's not all my fault. And, of course, it isn't everybody or, or all your fault. Some of it might be. Some of mm-hmm. it might be bad decisions. But it sure as anything isn't going to be all your fault. Um, and, you know, but people assume, you know, a, a business has gone and that makes you a failure. And it's, it's simply not true. The poor yeah. people, you know, who are losing businesses in COVID – Nobody could have, well, I mean, I'm sure a few top people in pharma could, but the majority of us couldn't have seen this coming. Yeah. You know, it would not have been in people's risk assessments. They are not a bad person if their business goes. No. And they cannot and must not think of themselves as like that. No, I mean, this, what we're going through at the minute, you know, COVID, pandemics, you know, we're on the news this morning. They're talking about, obviously, there's been a, an emergency meeting in Liverpool, there's one in Edinburgh, it's the hospitality industry are, are saying, you know, if there is a full lockdown again, there are many businesses that won't survive. And there is no way that you could have mitigated for that that risk or, or likelihood before the pandemic. And, and it's so difficult even through it. Um, you know, for those, you know, what advice would you have for those founders that are currently struggling to keep their businesses afloat um, because of the current situation? They need to be realistic. I mean, one of the huge mistakes I did make, um, which didn't contribute to failure or success, but um, to my own personal agony, is I went on trying to save that business far, far too long. I fiddled around trying to make deals with people um, who were interested in buying it and then decided Mm -hmm. they were the wrong people and the staff wouldn't like them um, and all sorts of things. You know, keeping it going at the expense of health, stress, financial woe, when it inevitably isn't going to happen, is a very, very bad mistake to make um, because it can cause you all sorts of agonies later on. Um, So so it's a question of of being very harsh and realistic and saying, can I 
change it? Can I pivot it? And is it worth it? Um, you know, and what are the rewards going to be? Because their essential skills as an entrepreneur will still be there to do something different. All sorts yeah. of other opportunities are opening up. Um, and, you know, if it is just a sign of the times, they shouldn't blame themselves. They should use it all, use all that knowledge and skill to a positive mm-hmm. rebuilding. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was reading an article this morning in uh, the Business Cloud magazine. It was talking about a virtual events here to stay. And it was all of these sort of uh, big events companies that have now gone from just providing like a temporary, oh, here's what we'll do until real events come back to actually investing and launching virtual events as now a core part of their offering and some of the great, you know, the great technology that they're deploying to make that as seamless and as engaging as it would be if it was a physical event. You know, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. It's fantastic. Because if they don't, those events companies are, you know, going to probably outside their control. It's obviously their personal analysis. But, you know, I'm not sure when physical events of any size are going to be back. I, I, I'm dubious if they will be, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. by the time um, it's possible, we will have all have moved on and there will people will examine whether there's any point. Yeah, we'll all be avatars. It'll be Ready Player One, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> you want to have the head, headsets on, yeah. um, which is fine. I'm all open to that. Um, so let's let's talk about us as a, as a nation. You know, how do we get this healthier relationship with failure? You know, is there an aspect to school in this? You know, where do we suddenly? Where is it we learn that failure is bad? How do we change our mindset to failure is not good but part of learning? I wish we could. I mean, the, um, it, it's so different from the American um, approach. I mean, one entrepreneur I spoke to recently, I remember saying to me that, you know, he nearly didn't get a job as a startup founder in Silicon Valley because he hadn't got a failure on his CV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, made him feel it was yeah. enough, enough experience. You know, it's, it, there is hardly a, um, you know, a C, CEO or CEO out there who hasn't mm-hmm. because, it, it, you know, they accept that it's part of a journey. Um, you know, it's so, so different in Britain. Um, I mean, hopefully this will, it will change, but I wonder, I, you know, what it is. It's one of the things Britons don't do. We don't fail, you know, mm-hmm. sort of left over from the stiff upper lip thing. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, the reality is that businesses fail. They do. It's a reality of life. And businesses start. There were 200,000 businesses started during lockdown, according to a recent OT report. So, um, you know, we are a nation of shopkeepers, as as they say. Absolutely. And now you you are a huge advocate for entrepreneurialism um, and you have a new book coming out, Scaling for Success, um, which is coming out in April by Bloomsbury, which is very exciting. Um, I know that you can't tell us a lot about it, but um, if you can, you tell us a bit about where the idea of the book has come from and who it is designed to help. I can, I can absolutely. I mean, it came about. I'd always wanted to write, and it was one of the things that was still, you know, sort of sitting there in those weeks and after our, after business had gone, and thinking, you know. A, a, what, what on earth does the future hold? I, I went back to basics and, and thought, what have I always wanted to do? And had I bothered to do any work at school, 
<laughs> I wanted to be a journalist. Um, so, and I'd always wanted to write a book. So I thought, well, you know, might as well try, I thought. And then I thought, well, what, what can I write about? What do I know about? And I thought, mm-hmm. 40 years in business is about all. And of course, I thought, you know, I can't do that. What a cheek, you know, somebody who's lost a business can't bring out a book about business. There's the imposter syndrome again. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I kicked that out, you know, sort of around and about for several months. Um, but then I actually thought, you know, the, 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 the time I had the trouble was um, the scale between 1 million and 10 million. Mm-hmm. And that's known to be one of the biggest troubles of, of all in business. If you can get across that, you know, you can probably run a business of any size. But it's it's that hugest change of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's where, you know, we talk about a lot of startups failing. It's actually where a lot more businesses go is that particular stage. It's it's absolutely lethal to businesses. Um, and as, as I, I sort of looked at it from the other way around and I thought, you know, goodness, I know a lot about mistakes you can make <laughs> that, uh, that particular transition, you know. Mm-hmm. And how do I, you know, had I had a book on somebody pointing out the mistakes yeah. um, and, you know, what, how wonderful that would have been. Maybe if I involve other people and I ask lots of expert advice and things, I can put that together and maybe that's something I can give back and be of help to people to prevent them falling headfirst into some of the traps I did. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so we'll look forward to reading that when it comes out in April and um, hopefully see some people. I love that you said that it was, um, you know, if only you had a book full of mistakes that you could have followed to avoid making them yourself. Um, it's like scaling by numbers almost, um, you know, what you're, what you're describing. But definitely, um, definitely yeah, <laughs> now we're both women. Uh, we're both women in business. We're both women in uh, entrepreneurship. Um, and you're really, we're both really passionate about encouraging uh, more women into, well, for me, it's just more women into everything, leadership, investment, technology. You know, we need to have um, more diverse voices in, in all aspects of business. Um, what is your uh, particular rally cry on that topic? I, I mean, I think, as you said, I think it's really, really important because I think increasingly with all the job losses we're going to be seeing, you know, it's been traditionally, the, the, uh, you know, more men as the breadwinner mm-hmm. and more females are going to have to turn to actually look at themselves as possibly the person who comes up with a solution. Um, you know, so I think increasingly it's, it's really important that women get entrepreneurial and, and start thinking about side hustles if they haven't already. And um, that, you know, that's going to come down to confidence and a belief. You know, you can do it. It's nothing to do with schooling or um, background or anything else. Um, you know, if you want to do something badly enough, you can do it. Yeah, I think the um, the barrier to entry is so low now. You know, all of the cloud technologies, if you want to start an e-commerce business, you know, you can, you know, you can do that through Etsy or Amazon or any of the marketplace um, websites, you know, Alibaba, Mercado, whatever it might yeah. be. Um, you know, if you want to, um, you know, if you want to provide any kind of service, you've got, you know, all of the bits that you just need to kind of plug in you know, to build your your e-commerce site, to start taking transactions on your websites through, 
you know, things like PayPal or um, Stripe or whatever it might be. And then you've got zero, which you just plug into the back end. You know, it's exactly. so simple and these things are low cost. And yeah, absolutely I, right. we've definitely seen on the um, on our registrations for new businesses that are starting up, you know, these side hustles, people now, if anything, what they've had, what they've got now is time. People would have probably put off these ideas because they didn't have time. Whereas now that's what we've all got loads of that um, <laughs> because there's nothing else to do. And, yeah. um, you know, they they've started kind of taking a look and you see these new things popping up, um, you know, on your Facebook uh, pages as well. Um, and, you know, anyone can go and do there's so much free online training out there now um, where people can go and do a little course on, you know, Facebook business uh, ads or Instagram ads or whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's just about what you said earlier about being open minded and, you know, not setting settling on a particular thing and looking at the market and see what's what's moving at the minute, because there are definitely markets that are moving as a result of COVID-19. Absolutely right. And I think, you know, as, as just I would totally agree with everything you've said. You know, you can test markets in a way that possibly you never could before, you know, and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so whilst I think COVID has had a negative effect in many ways on women's career opportunities, um, because they're the first ones to go in a redundancy, yeah. Um, yeah. I think maybe in a year's time we'll be looking back at this new work-life balance which is probably going to happen because everybody wants it men and women um and you know what we might see now is this new this new generation of uh, of women preneurs coming through um that would be lovely <laughs> now um we're you know we're coming to the end of our uh time together jan and uh you know we've we've taken a, a whistle stop tour uh, through your your career um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. Um, I don't know whether you can pick out a single kind of key achievement, you know, that you would say would, this was kind of like a, a pivotal moment that sticks in your mind in terms of what you achieved over that time. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I remember sitting around a dinner table which I'd been invited to to a women's dinner and there was about sort of eight or ten of us and the woman giving it totted up the amount of money that we had all contributed to the country's economy uh, and that they were all women-owned businesses and that was pretty stunning mm-hmm. you know and I, I mean I was somewhere sort of in the lower middle of that you know and you thought wow you know that's an awful lot to contribute and give back that's something um, yeah you know, which which was was a real stick in the mind moment. I think. What was the collective number? <laughs> I wish I could remember. I've just spoiled my own story, haven't I? But, uh, <laughs> no, I know, but you take the big bit away, which is wow, we've done a lot, but I can't remember. It's like, <laughs> listen, it's like playing netball. People always ask you at the end of the game, what was the score, and you're like, I don't know, I but know. we won by two. <laughs> I know. If I'm ever going to tell you, say anybody that again, I'm going to have to check with them. No, no, as long as you never ask me the the end of a match what a netball score is, because I can never tell you. I'll just be like, we lost by one, we lost by ten, we lost by two, (laughs) we won by five. Um, And what's your motto? What do you live by? I think I already know, though. Probably that um, you must live uh, your own life, not what other people tell you to. Keep learning and don't let fear stop you. Just be, be yourself and get on with it. And have fun. And have fun, absolutely. <laughs> if it's not fun, stop doing it. Love it, love it. 
Um, okay, so we always like to finish the podcast with some advice and um, some tangible things that they could take away that they could maybe start doing in the next few days. Um, so um, as your final pieces of advice, what would you say to someone who is thinking about starting their business today? I think you have to decide... Um, Ask yourself how much you care about it. Is it your real North Star? Um, you know, does it provide something that's going to passionately make a difference to people or the world or whatever that you care about? Um, because, you know, and that, that doesn't always have to be. People always think of that as, you know, I've got to change the world and save the planet, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. But it could also be feeding your children. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what is what is the motivation here? Um, and is it going to make me leap out of bed and be happy every morning? Um, because that's what you're looking for. And if, if it makes you unhappy or angry or anything else, stay away. Because you won't you won't make a success of it. It's all about passion. Love it. Thank you so much, Jan, um, for your time and sharing um, your story and being very candid about it as well. Um, For those who are perhaps going through that pain at the minute where they're struggling with their business and in that misery period, um, hopefully Jan's advice will help you come to some decisions and um, hopefully have a better night's sleep. Thank you very much. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Bellier, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violence. If you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester.